0: The following is paid programming and is operated and produced independently. The current views and opinions expressed belong solely to their operators and do not represent the views or opinions of Family Flavors, the Slide WBN Inc., its affiliates, its sister companies, or respective companies which these individuals are affiliated or have been previously affiliated. The program's participants, opinions, and content are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither family flavors to Slide WBN Inc. nor its affiliates warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be considered as such. All rights to the media broadcasted on this platform belong solely to the copyright owners of said media. Family flavors to Slide WBN Inc. and its affiliates do not make claims to own the media broadcasted on our network.
1: salutations family thank you for tuning in today to Elevated Vibes I'm your host Tara today we have a wildlife warrior with us Rick Hunkler has just returned from a 35-day volunteer experience at a wildlife sanctuary in the middle of the Bolivian jungle all right Rick uh, share with us some of the information about this organization
2: well first of all Tara I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to be here and to share this information with everyone um, the organization I was involved with is called Siwi for short. It means Comunidad Intiwawra Yasi, which I'll go more into that later, but for now I will, I'll refer to it as CIWI. Alright. So Siwi began in the 1980s when a group of Bolivian volunteers began to teach trade skills to less privileged youth in the La Paz area, hoping to give them means to support themselves and this education program included a field trip, and the youth were amazed by the luscious vegetation and quantity of wildlife that they witnessed in the wilderness outside of La Paz. But as they reached Coroso a small village, they witnessed the negative impact that humans were having upon the environment and the wildlife, particularly from the slash and burn agricultural practices. The sight of the scorched earth deeply affected the youth and they committed to create an environmental movement to show the public the adverse effects of destroying the rainforest. On another trip the youth encountered a spider monkey which some locals at a bar had forced to drink alcohol and dance for the entertainment of patrons. The youth decided to rescue the animal and persuaded the bar owner to give it to them and at that time there were no sanctuaries in Bolivia and they took the monkey to a eco friendly, hostile nearby. The group began to raise awareness, expressing the need for environmental legislation to protect the forests and animals of Bolivia. And over the years, Siwi's work evolved and its principal mission is now to help rescue wildlife. However, they have never lost sight of the original mission of supporting children. Siwi was officially founded in 1992 as an environmental activism group. They organized environmental demonstrations, protests, talks at schools and other actions that raised awareness about the need for change regarding the way humans interact with biodiversity. One of Siwi's founders, Nina Baltazar, rescued a spider monkey that was being mistreated and resolved to create a wildlife refuge. So in 1996, with two spider monkeys, two capuchin monkeys, and a squirrel monkey, See, we created the first wildlife sanctuary in Bolivia, Parque Machia, thanks to an agreement signed by the municipal government of Villa Tenare for the use of the land. In 2002, thanks to financial support from Quest Overseas and friends of Intiwabra Yasi, UK, they acquired land for the biggest sanctuary, Ambuyari, specializing in the care of wild felines. And that's where I had spent my 35 days recently. In 2009, thanks to donations from volunteers through the friends of Intiwari Yasi from the UK, Siwi was able to establish its third sanctuary, Jacques in the outskirts of, this is a hard village name to say, Rurin Wow. Siwi enjoyed the privilege of being visited by the famous primatologist Jane Goodall in 2010. She visited Parque Machia and Parque Ambuyari to support Siwi's work with the animals and the environment. And in 2017, seaweed received the institutional merit recognition through a government decree of the Department of Cochabamba for its contribution to the defense of the environment and the conservation of biodiversity for 25 years. So today, there's over 300 animals that reside in seaweed sanctuaries, but many more have been rehabilitated and released into the wild. And Nina has been joined by an incredible staff of Bolivian and foreign conservationists, veterinarians, biologists, sanctuary administrators, and volunteers from all around the world contribute to the daily operations of the sanctuaries. And over time, seaweed's not only changed the lives and futures of thousands of animals, but also of thousands of people who belong to the wider seaweed family, people with the same passion and vision of the world, and people that fight on a daily basis to improve our planet. And the volunteers I mentioned from all around the world, I witnessed that personally. They are from everywhere.
1: Wow, it's amazing um, the beautiful things that can happen when you have a passion and you come together with somebody else who's got an idea. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, man, a beautiful um, team effort has come from this Mastermind Alliance. Um, what do you think um, is the best about this organization and their mission and their goal? Well,
2: they're, you know, they're providing a home for animals that their lives were stolen from them long ago. Uh, a lot of, especially the large cats, they were uh, taken away from, their mother was killed by a hunter who sold her pelt and uh, body parts. But when he realized that she was a, a mother, he would take his dogs and backtrack the, the, the cat, be it a jaguar or a puma, and in the south they call them pumas. Mountain lions are called pumas there, so I'll refer to them as pumas from now on. And they would uh, come across kittens, and they would gather up the kittens, sell them on the roadside as pets or whatever someone wanted the kitten for, mostly a toy for their child. But as the uh, kitten grows, It becomes a a large cat and it it is habituated to people. It cannot be released in the wild and uh, it becomes very rough to play with. So they release them and uh, call the authorities. They come capture them and uh, sometimes just euthanize them or the lucky ones get taken to a sanctuary. So their mission is helping, helping wildlife have a life outside of just ending it all too suddenly.
1: Man, that's terrible. Um, Just the idea of somebody wanting to get something cool and exotic, and then it grows up and gets big. And now it can't be in the home anymore. And uh, then it gets turned out (laughs) to be um, on its own in the wild where it never had that kind of life. It's terrible. Um, So can you tell me what other kind of animals you were able to meet and help there on your journey?
2: Yeah, there were um, quite a few macaws and parrots there that had been injured by uh, hitting, being hit by a car, or storms, or someone had it as a pet and realized the, the macaw was probably going to outlive them, and mm. they didn't want to deal with cleaning up, and so they they turned those over to a sanctuary. There were um, koada mundis they tried to make pets out of. What is a koada mundi? It's a small r- raccoon. Uh, cousin of a raccoon we have them in the southwestern part of the state okay uh, and believe it, they call them tahones. Um, they're very cute but they can be extremely aggressive when they're being fed mm-hmm. um, they want their food and we would feed them three times a day and they still acted like they hadn't eaten all day wow
3: but, uh, <laughs>
2: they're uh they're really cute um, they move in troops, family troops of uh, anywhere from 20 to 40, several generations travel together. Uh, there were uh, many monkeys, spider monkeys, uh, capuchin monkeys, squirrel monkeys have been injured. Uh, Particular of interest was the night monkeys. Uh, not much larger than the size of a football, but eyeballs were so big and so cute. Mm. Really, really interesting to see.
1: So, what would you say the ratio to volunteers and animals was, and how many um, volunteers, or sorry, how many animals were you responsible for during the day?
2: That varied with the animal that the uh, volunteer was assigned to. I just had, I was assigned to two large pumas, which was perfect for me. That's why I was there. Um, but some of the volunteers took care of the, the macaws and the parrots in the morning. There could be up to twenty-five of those at a time and one volunteer working with those. The monkeys required a couple of people to be in there in case one monkey got a little crazy. Um, (laughs) But all in all, it depended on how many volunteers. And sometimes before COVID, they would have as many as 40 volunteers at a time. When COVID hit, the the volunteer ratio or amount went down drastically. When I was there, we had 19 volunteers. And I would just say on an estimate maybe Five animals per volunteer. If you wanted to average it out. Okay. I that's mean, quite I a with, I worked with two pumas, but in the morning I would help feed the Tehuanes, the Quatamundis, also some chanchos, which are small javelina pigs, um, and the birds. So I got I got to be around a lot.
1: Man, that's wonderful. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then I got some more. Um, I just want to know all about this. So when we get back, I have a few more questions for you.
4: Another Life Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping those battling with mental illness and suicidal behaviors. Do you need to talk to someone? Our organization has recently received a grant to offer five free therapy sessions to eligible community members. If you live in the Fountain, Security, Widefield, Stratmore, Manitou Springs and Monument areas, you may qualify for free therapy sessions. Even if you don't live in these areas, our network of counselors and therapists accept cash and most insurances. Don't suffer in silence. Schedule your appointment today. You can reach us at anotherlifefoundation.com or call us at 719-216-7238. Mental health is wealth.
1: And thank you for joining us Today we have um, Rick the wildlife warrior with us And we're talking about his journey down in the Bolivian jungle um, Alright, uh, tell me Rick, um, what other kind of animal You were talking about the other kind of animals that you were able to meet um, You were talking about the little monkey with some big eyes That was one of my favorites <laughs> Makes me want to have one as a pet But we already know that that is not a good yeah, idea not
2: a good idea, no. <laughs> He'll have you up all night not on a walk. So. <laughs> uh, well, I was able to uh, interact with Kusi, uh, this large, powerful male jaguar. He was just incredible. And he was so friendly. He would just walk around his enclosure with you on the outside, of course, walking with him. And he would lick you and lick your arm and your hand. But, you know, jaguars are so powerful and their tongues are so rough. Five licks on the arm and your skin was about to come off. And, But he was so playful and just a beautiful animal. And then I got to meet the two sisters. There were originally three sisters, three young puma kittens, were brought to the sanctuary 19 years ago. And one of them passed away about 10 years ago. And their names were Intiwara Yasi. That's where Siwi comes in. Siwi stands for Comunidad Inti Yasi, which means the community for Inti Yasi. And Inti means sun in Quecha, Wara means star in Amara, and Yasi means moon in Chirigano. Oh, it's beautiful. And they wanted to incorporate these indigenous languages for this sanctuary's name. It's beautiful. So they were, they were incredible. We walked those. I got to walk with those for a day on leashes out into the jungle. And they're just like giant house cats. And let you pet them and rub and they play. Incredible to see them so happy living out their life.
1: That's beautiful. Um, all right. Tell me a little bit of what it was like to be out there um, away from America. You're in a totally different um, country, different people, different lifestyle, different uh, way of doing things. Tell me a little bit about that.
2: Well, it was a little shocking at first, but then the beauty of it was the simplicity of everyday life. Everyone had their jobs to do. We had a task we would do every morning for an hour before breakfast, and that changed up every day. We all took turns in rotation of either cleaning bathrooms and showers or cleaning out the fumador, the smoking area away from the camp, um, helping with breakfast. Just things like that, uh, feeding the camp animals that were in in the camp area there. Um, Then there would be breakfast, and then announcements would be made.
1: Mm, What kind of things would they, just kind of like the daily tasks or?
2: Most of the time it was about who was leaving and who was coming in. And the new volunteers coming in, that was really great to hear, but the ones leaving was so sad. My first week there, My first weekend, when some volunteers were leaving, I had got to know them so close and so well, it was very emotional, and I knew that when my time was going to come, in the end of my 35 days, that I would be an emotional wreck. And I was. Bittersweet. (laughs) Yes.
1: All right. so um, you were talking about some of the other people, some of the other volunteers to come in. Um, Were most of them also from the United States or from even that local area? Did you have um, volunteers from that local area? Or where else would they be coming from?
2: Well, the volunteers were from all over the world, and there were several from uh, Bolivia, and a couple of the Bolivians were on the staff. Uh, There was a veterinarian and a maintenance guy there that were paid staff, and they're from Bolivia. The volunteers, I tell you, while I was there, there were 19 of us and they ranged from Australia, Zanzibar, the UK, there was Denmark and Belgium, uh, Germany, France, Spain, Canada, Argentina, and Czech Republic, and the sweetest girl from Israel. I mean there was just so, and then there were two of us from the United States. So they were from everywhere and uh, everyone got along, we were all there for the same reasons. Everyone was interested in the other one's background. There was so much communication. Um, English and Spanish was the biggest languages there and most everyone spoke English. There were a couple, I know one guy from France, he didn't understand English at all, but he did know Spanish. So we would have that interpreted through another person when we would you know, have a conversation. But there was quite a variety. And a lot of a lot of women it was amazing. A lot of them were women traveling alone through South America, stopping in to volunteer
1: that's powerful, so you know for anybody who thinks maybe they can't do it because they're just a single female there that is no excuse. People from all around the world coming for this one specific purpose with nothing but love in their heart and willing to um be cooperative for the sake of these lovely animals who need us at this time and to teach people to make better decisions, man, so we can uh, get these animals out of that kind of situation.
2: I'd like to add one more little comment about that. There was one girl there from um, Belgium, I believe it was. She was going to be there for three months, and she was away from her boyfriend, but at the end of three months, she was going to Ecuador, and he was going to meet her there, and they were going to volunteer at an animal sanctuary in Ecuador together for two more months.
1: Wow.
2: So it's beautiful. there's a lot of people out there with wonderful hearts and compassion for wildlife. It's just amazing.
1: Man, that uh, that gives me chills because um, at the end of the day, when you put the ego down, there all there is is love. And when you could get these people from all around the world to cooperate and communicate, um, without um, the, even just like the barrier of language, a lot of people would see that as like kind of hard or something that you didn't want to do. And Rick, you and I talked about that as kind of like one of the things that brought you a little bit of fear um, about doing that is just kind of moving out of the comfort zone with the passion in your heart to go serve. Um, Tell me a little bit about the night before you left in the morning that you were
2: packing up to leave. Oh boy, that was one of the most, that was the fear I felt with this trip. It wasn't being in the jungle or moving through the jungle alone, walking towards my enclosure where my Pumas were. My issue was the morning before, the morning of flying out of Denver, Colorado. I was a mess. I couldn't do it. I knew I just could not do something like this. And I was, uh, the unknown was just wearing on me heavily and I was ready to cancel the trip. But I couldn't do that. I had a friend going with me and I couldn't put her through that cancellation. Um, my wife told me, you know, you can do this. You've done similar things before, but not in a jungle in Bolivia. But um, it was very difficult. It was it was the most stressful <laughs> anxiety I had ever had. But once I was on the plane, Everything started going smoothly. Once we had the bags checked in and I had extra baggage, large bags, I was taking a a lot of veterinarian equipment that was donated by two veterinarian friends of mine. Uh, I was concerned about even getting that into Bolivia. But uh, everything everything started smoothing out. And from uh, when we landed in Santa Cruz and got through customs, got our private taxi and it took six hours to get to the sanctuary That was a long drive, but I began to really get more comfortable, and once we arrived there, it all fell in place.
1: Man, that's beautiful. One thing that I like best about that is when we have our friends and our family, and they want the best for us, um, but out of programming or somewhere in their fear, they want to share their fears and their reasons why we shouldn't or can't. Um, do the things that we're striving to do. So, Colleen, I admire you for having your man's back and being like, you got this. Don't worry about it. It's going to be good. You've done it before. Um, So that's very inspiring for us to be that person for our loved ones and family or even strangers and then have those kind of people who got our back, that they're willing to share their hopes and they're um, like, man, you got this. They're willing to share the good stuff and keep the fears to themselves because I don't, nobody needs your fears. They got their own. <laughs> so share the joy. Um, that, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's see. I would like to talk about a little bit, um, of the living conditions. Uh, what was your room and board like? What was it like at meal times and stuff like that?
2: Well, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. It was, um, uh, very rustic. Uh, this place was built years ago and, and they just don't have the funding to keep updating or replacing and, it's, uh, it's, it's seen where, but the, the, the bunk houses we stayed in bunk houses. They had concrete foundations, wood walls halfway up, and then screened in the rest of the way to the roof. Uh, there were three to four bunk beds in each building with mosquito net hanging over them because the, the mosquitoes were you know prevalent. Um, the dining area was a, a big communal area where we would all gather for breakfast and, and lunch and dinners and just hang out of an evening for a little bit. There was no electricity other than for the dining area, the kitchen, the office and one, uh, one of the buildings that housed a couple of uh, freezers to keep the meat frozen for the cats and fruit and vegetables cooled for the rest of the animals. And our food, you know, I was there 35 days, and I lost 18 pounds. And a lot of that was sweat, and also because I wasn't eating like I would eat in the States. You know, we don't need to eat as much as we eat. And uh, I learned that there. We were fed rice and pasta a lot that had some little chunks of vegetables added into it. Soup, you know, soup on a hot day at 100 degrees at lunchtime was not a good time to have soup, but that's what we had. And if it was somebody's birthday, though, we did get cake, which was good. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) And uh, it was just a a difficult thing to get used to. But once you understood how it was going along, and you did get a day off through the week, One, one day a week, a group would get Tuesday and a group would get Monday. You could go into the little village of Garayos and you could buy yourself some candies, cookies, some Coca-Colas, which were just wonderful. Um, and that would help. That helped with things. But it's doable, you know. it You can make it there.
1: So um, just kind of getting out of the comfort zone, putting yourself in a totally different um, situation. And what I like to say is a program because here in America we have – a certain way of thinking of way you know sh- things should be um here in America, we wouldn't if we were volunteering somewhere, we probably won't get served hot soup on a hot day, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know when you're you're there to serve, we're not here to it's not to make you comfortable, and I think that's the beautiful thing about life is we are we're programmed to have things a certain way. And when you come out of that program and be like, you know, it wasn't that bad, like the anxiety of leaving the country and then getting there and then dealing with um, uncomfortable temperatures um, and then not having the accommodations such as air conditioning to put us back in our comfort zone and then dealing with that going, yeah, I get some rice and some hot soup with some vegetables, but I'm okay with that. And then by having the knowledge of being like, well, you know, this American diet, um, I didn't need to have all the all this food. I was able to survive. I don't think I was being starved or anything. And I could see the benefit of um, having just that different, the whole different programming, not being in the same environment, having the same things, being able to have different experiences. I think that just inspires me to want to leave this country. (laughs) Um,
2: It wasn't about us going on vacation. You're right. We were there for the animals. You're right. And to help the people there helping the animals. So
1: So what was your favorite thing? What what brought you most joy um, for yourself personally, as well as what you were able to give to the animals? What
2: brought you the most joy? Uh, Well, knowing why I was there and every day fulfilling that. But I have to tell you, if I, can, if I can keep the emotion out of it, every morning I would see uh, Marley. This is gonna be hard. Mm. But as I walked through the jungle and I would get close to her enclosure, I would call out her name. And she would answer with a high chirp, chirp of a kitten And when I would reach her doorway to her enclosure, she would be bounding out of the jungle to meet me at the door. Uh And this is a puma, (laughs) six-year-old puma, and just purring and rubbing and and rubbing on my hand and licking my arm. And then I actually got her to, to understand when I would say, lay down here, lay here. And she would lay down with her back against the bottom of her enclosure where it was a little loose, and I could reach my hand in, and I could stroke her entire from neck to tail, back and forth. This would be a 20-minute session every morning. And then we would walk around her enclosure, and we'd play chase. We'd play hide-and-stalk, and, stalk, and we'd, I'd make her little balls of out of vines for toys and spray a little perfume in it because they like perfume for some reason. Mm-hmm. The day was to enrich, The morning was to enrich her life. And that's what I kept trying to do. And then when it come time to feed her, uh, that was so fun. You know, we had, they, they each had two enclosures connected by a tunnel. And they were trained to, you know, you bring them into one enclosure and shut this gate over there. And I could go into this one and I could clean the water bowl, fill it up with fresh water every day, put a couple tidbits of food in it, come out. She knew when I opened this gate, she would go in here to eat that. And I'd close this gate and I'd go into this big enclosure. And I would clean it up, clean her water bowl, and then I would hide anywhere from 12 to 20 chunks of meat throughout the jungle. And she knew she had to find it. And I would let her look for about 15, 20 minutes, and then I knew where I'd hid some, and I'd go walk around with her, talking to her, and I'd say, here, here, Marley, a key, a key, Marley, a key. A key. <laughs> and she, she would look where I was pointing and she'd find that chunk of meat. And it was just a fantastic time. It was just like a giant house cat. And I bonded so much. Um, Maggie was a 15-year-old lion who'd been there all her life since six months. Um, she was a, an elegant older lady. And when I would come into her enclosure approach her enclosure, and I'd call her name out in the afternoon. She had a raspy voice, like a smoker voice, you know, she, um, <laughs> little noise, anyway, she, she had a raspy smoker voice, like a, a lady who had smoked all of her life, <laughs> and she had ants call out to me with a, and it was just so cute to hear, and she would just be rubbing back and forth on the fence, and we'd go through the same thing, but with Maggie, I could let her out of her enclosure onto a runner where she could run for like 150 feet or so. We're recording a live
3: podcast in here. Um, Yeah, sure, but can you move this? And would just be,
2: she would run like she was just a a kitten and just play. And there again, I would make up little toys and spray them with perfume and toss them out to where she could reach them. But she couldn't reach me because if she did, she'd play a little rough.
1: So let me track back real quick. Um, The Marley and what was the other one? Maggie. Maggie. Um, And Maggie was the older one. Is that right?
3: Yes.
1: Uh, So what do you think? Do you think it was just her age that made her voice raspy? Like an age thing? Okay. And then now at any time, like, I know I get it. It's a wild animal. But was there an opportunity for you to be um, body to body with Marley? Because it seems to be... Yeah, she's a wild animal, and um, maybe not know her strength, but all the love and compassion, compassion, and she seems like she really likes you, so for her to be anything but loving would be um, probably not a possibility, but going in the cage oh, with her was not a thing.
2: Marley Marley wouldn't hurt anybody.
1: Oh, bless him. Now,
2: Maggie, Maggie wanted to play, and I would have to keep my distance. Okay. When I had her on the runner... Her, length, her rope was only so long that she could go sideways. And so I'd have to stay outside that. But the second to the last day I was there, I knew I was gonna miss him. So I thought, I'm gonna play with Maggie today. So we started doing a little hide and stalk thing. And so at one time I thought, I'm just gonna get a little closer. And entice her to come after me. And I'm sure she can't stretch that rope (laughs) to get to me. (laughs) So I took a step. Boy, she saw that. She cowered down, laid laid those ears down. And I took a second step, and her little butt started to wiggle. And I took that third step, and here she came. And I said, Maggie, you're not going to get me. And I took one step back, and she had both front feet around my right knee. But not one claw came out. No. And oh, she please. let go right away and looked at me and <laughs> meow, gave me that like I got you, <laughs> you know. And I thought, oh, you're so sweet, Maggie. You're so sweet. And, and I don't know. I, I, I'll hurry with this one with Marley. Marley, I can tell you, Marley, one day I made a mistake. When I put her into the other enclosure and I was supposed to close this gate and go into the large enclosure to clean and feed, I forgot to close the gate. I was just excited to see her over here and I thought, okay, I can go in here. (laughs) So I went in to the other large enclosure and I put my backpack down that had big water bottles in it, I put the food bucket, plastic food bucket down, thankfully the lid was on tight and I went back out to pick up something else I'd forgot to bring in and when I walked past the gate I was supposed to have closed, there sat Marley (sighs) looking at me. Uh, From me to you. And I thought, oh, my God. I wasn't afraid of her. (laughs) She wasn't going to hurt me. But I thought, I've got to get out of there and get that gate down because my backpack, my water bottles, the food bucket. How am I going to explain this (laughs) to the office people? (laughs) Well, I didn't make it. When I went out and around, Marley knew it was her time to go. And she went in. For the next half hour, she was beating up my backpack. I could hear water bottles going up and down (laughs) through the jungle trail my backpack was being dragged around and I thought how am I gonna get how am I gonna do this <laughs> so I kept talking to her and talking to her and calling and telling her how great she was and oh you're having fun Marley you got to come back up here so I went in and grabbed the food bowl in the first enclosure and I came out back around and I rattled it on the wire and I said I got more here Marley more here come on Marley well you know kept time kept going by and going by and I thought man I'm gonna have to call for help but I hate to do this finally Marley come walking out of the jungle oh my god with this water bottle hanging out of her mouth and it was punctured and crushed and (laughs) she come she come out like a like a cat showing me what she caught (laughs) and she come out and she walked right over real slow and laid down at the gate that I would normally come in over there And I said, oh, Marley, that is so good, so great of you to do. That's fantastic. And I took the food bowl over there that I had. And I said, come on, I got more food. And she got up and followed me back and followed me in to the other one. And I was able to quickly close that gate. She saved me that day. (laughs) She was so sweet. I'll never forget that. I brought that chewed-up bottle home in my luggage (laughs) that was my souvenir
1: oh that's beautiful she was a sweetheart oh man the amount um they're they're so capable of companionship and compassion and emotion and they seem so intelligent Mm. and so very in tune with um you know she knew she was taking your time she knew she oh. was <laughs> messing her she, around.
2: Those were toys I brought. Yes. Those were enrichment Those were enrichment toys, new stuff.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, man, that's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> do we need to take a break here? All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. Uh, thank you for tuning in.
4: When times get tough and it seems like the odds are constantly stacked against you, wouldn't it be a blessing to know that you had an ace in the hole? Ladies and gentlemen, consider yourselves anointed because you can always bet on Ace Pawn and Loans to have your back when difficult times attack. Are you down on your luck? Well, come on down and get the best bang for your buck. Ace Pawn and Loans is a family-owned and operated chain that has been servicing the people of Colorado Springs for over 40 years. Having been nominated and voted the best in Colorado Springs for four years running, Ace Pawn and Loan gives the ultimate attention to service and detail. Their staff at all three locations are impeccable and highly professional. Ace Pawn & Loans specializes in pawn loans, title loans, buying, selling, trading, check cashing, and money transfers. They even offer worldwide shipping. Ace Pawn & Loans is truly the best in the business. So make sure you contact the sincere patriots of pawnbroking and loans today. Trade today. Get paid today. Catch the deals at three locations locally. 2339 Platt Place, 3060 South Academy Boulevard, 3638 North Academy Boulevard or find them on Facebook at Ace Point and Loans and tell them the slide sent you. Are
0: you looking for a strong legal team to help you through a time of crisis? Unknown of who to contact when the law is overbearing? Are your friends or loved ones in fear and trial is drawn near? defense is more than simply a word within the hallowed halls of the law offices of barker and Tolini. ladies and gentlemen it is literally a cornerstone that these men work breathe and live by every day for nearly a decade this prestigious law firm has humbly and diligently labored in defense of the people the law offices of barker and Tolini are the premier criminal defense attorneys within the box state hands down in your time of legal need, contact the super team with Barker and Tolini at 719-227-0230. Again, that's 719-227-0230. Let them know that you heard it here on the slide so they know we got your back. Contact the offices Barker and Tolini at 720 South Street, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80903. Or at LawOffice.com.
1: right welcome back everybody and thank you uh for staying in tune for this lovely story that we have from the um, wildlife warrior rick he has been spending the um some time over in the bolivian jungle volunteering with a bunch of beautiful animals we heard a lot about his story i still have a few questions though rick um wanted to know what about this sounded appealing what made you want to kind of drop your life and go hang out in the jungle um, for 35 days. What about that sounded like a must-do thing for you?
2: Well, I've, you know, Tara, I've always, I've always been interested in wildlife and, and pets all my life, and right now I have about 23 wildlife cameras spread across the Front Range and uh, capturing videos of animals moving about their daily lives. And uh, I'm fascinated with mountain lions and bears and, and seeing those animals. And I belong to a couple organizations. Uh, mountain lion organizations and one of them based out of California has used some of my videos for seminars and and, uh, lessons for some of their uh, students they teach and they sent an email to me about a year and a half ago about a book I might be interested in and it's called the Puma Years by Laura Coleman and it's a it's a collection of memoirs of her early experience volunteering at Ari, the sanctuary I was at, um, as she was backpacking through South America. And she was just, uh, she had a couple weeks before, uh, her next adventure where she was going to be sailing off somewhere else. And she, her, her description of meeting Waira this puma that she bonded with, and the trust that they built with each other and what they what she experienced with this puma so personally i thought i need i need to do this i need to go there and see this and feel this and and as we all know in the united states you volunteer for an animal sanctuary there's no hands on uh, you know there're insurance and liability issues you can't pet the animal or be in there with them But here in Bolivia, this third world country in this jungle, they need help and they don't have those issues. And so, I mean, you know, the safety, you know, you have to be safe and all that, but it's all on you. And Laura's experience with Weira was so heartfelt. She returned eight more times. And she's actually on the uh, uh, board of the friends of Intiwabra, right, Yasi, based out of UK and i've been in touch with her several times uh she gave me a lot of insight on what to expect and what to, how to go about this and that just made me have to go wow so i i recommend that book to anyone that wants to 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 read about how people can make a connection with animals like she did
1: man that's beautiful all right um so what would you share um Actually, I did want to touch on this real quick. What was the um, collective age for the people volunteering? Did you have a lot of young folks, a lot of um, maybe uh, adults who have raised their children and their children were off and they didn't have anything to do and they were kind of that empty nested nester stage? What were the age ranges?
2: Well, the average age was 25 to 30. Um, These mostly were young people just traveling about. It's amazing, Europeans can just travel like they do. They just throw a backpack on and go. I really <laughs> respect that. Um, there, were, uh, there was one lady from Germany. She was there for two weeks, and she was about 50. And her and I, we got along great. It was good to be able to talk to somebody, you know, other than the 30-year-olds, although I love talking to them. But uh, I'm 69, so, you know, I bumped that, I bumped that average up quite a bit. But it was interesting... Being the older person, I was very uh, affected by the heat and the humidity. And I know I could hear him laugh at me of an evening after uh, we had our showers and getting ready for dinner. They would all be in uh, the eating area talking and laughing and having a great time, and I'd be outside. Like a little radar thing searching for that little hint of a breeze anywhere, anywhere a breeze. <laughs> and I could hear him laugh about there's the old guy out there looking for that little breeze that's never gonna come. <laughs> and it was just it was just how it was, you know. They but but twenty five to thirty is the average age. It's a fun age, it's a fun group.
1: So I'm gonna take you back real quick. You were talking about how you had some wildlife uh cameras set up all around the area and that made me um, think uh, Mr. Rick here is an artist, and he makes beautiful portraits of animals um, out in the in the wild and all these beautiful things um, how how did your experience with animals play into your art
2: uh, it was you know I just had the talent of drawing all my life and, and I would follow my little dog around in the house when I was six years old, trying to draw that dog all the time, probably drove her crazy. <laughs> but My interest in art was animals and birds. I wasn't into landscapes or flowers or anything. I, it was always animals. And when I moved to Colorado and got up into the mountains and was able to see the beautiful scenery and then, and then focus in on a small, like, Location where I thought, boy, bobcat would be beautiful coming out of that little spot. I would paint that.
3: Mm. I
2: like to say that I like to paint the unseen.
1: Ah, that's beautiful.
2: Because you don't, people don't see that. Right. So.
1: So if there was anything um, that you would share in specific with anybody um, about your experience, or anybody who wanted to volunteer. Um, What would it be that you would like to share a little piece of advice or gold nugget for them?
2: I think if a person was interested in volunteering in the Bolivian jungle at one of these sanctuaries, they should really sit down with someone or have a lengthy conversation on the phone about the experience, what to expect, uh, how the conditions are actually going to be. I mean, we touched on that here, but... You know, there's a lot to share. And just be sure you got your head set right, to be ready, and, and, and try to get rid of fear. You know, if you didn't have fear, what else in this life would you experience? You know, if you didn't have fear of things, you would do more. So just try to prepare yourself to go. And the more you learn, the more you'll be comfortable with it when you see it. Read the book, The Puma Years. That, that will really help. A lot and um, just just go with that and if you're just wanting to, to look for a place to volunteer around Colorado or anywhere you live you can just do some research um, I did some research last week on just uh, volunteering at wildlife uh, sanctuaries and I was amazed that the states that I live in Colorado but other states all popped up on the uh, search and Here in Colorado along the Front Range, there's many places that are always looking for volunteers. Uh, There's the Dumb Friends League, of course, in Denver, Castle Rock and Colorado Springs need dog walkers and people to come in and just sit and pet the cats and enrich their day because they're just sitting in this little cage all day, waiting on their forever home to show up one day possibly. And the Max Fund, Um, the Wild Animal Sanctuary north of Denver and Kingsburg lions and tigers and bears and just wolves it's just a wonderful place to go see and they're always looking for volunteers and you're going to be cleaning cages you're going to be you know messing with uh, you know refuse from the animal but that's just the way it is Um, I volunteer I've been volunteering for 10 years now at the Harmony Equine Rescue Center in Franktown, Colorado, where we take in abandoned and abused horses. I have scooped a lot of poop in 10 years, and, <laughs> but I'm always petting and rubbing a horse while I'm doing so, and it's just such a great way to start my week.
1: Man, that's beautiful. I think that we have a lot to learn from the uh, wildlife um, on this planet. We are all here, all together as one and I think um once we can once we can um bridge, if you will, and start to work in harmony with mother nature and be at peace um with everything and know that everything we are one in all lives all lives matter. It doesn't matter if you're a plant, it doesn't matter if you're A Puma over in the Bolivian jungle or if you're a human here in the United States all lives matter and once we can get our idea around we are one and we can operate in this harmonious um, energy flow Uh, we can can come from all parts of the world from every background from every culture, from every language and be one in the harmony of giving and loving to just kind of better everybody's um, life so what would you say your most favorite and least favorite thing was about your your experience?
2: Well, you know, I've been asked that a few times and it, it's always the same thing. It was always um, the same thing. The, the, the My most favorite was walking in to meet my pumas. And the least favorite was leaving them that day, and especially the last day I was going to see them.
1: That's beautiful. Now, tell me, were you able to draw? You just you just recently got some ink put on you of these lovely animals. Did you draw these animals, or did the tattoo artist just kind of oh, take control from a picture?
2: Uh, these are photographs I took okay. that she took off the pictures that okay. I took. So
1: that's super cool.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yes, I never thought I'd ever have a vo- uh, tattoo in my life. I, why would I have one? I, <laughs> know I just never thought of it until I went to take care of these pumas and that did it I I I had to do it so Marley's on my left shoulder and Maggie's on my right shoulder
1: all right Um, I think we have a few more minutes would there be anything at all maybe something personal you would like to add
2: Um, well you know there there is one thing that I've harbored for years and it, it seemed to fit in with this experience. Not many people know this. Uh, I'm 69 years old, but when I was a young teenager and in my early 20s, I did some hunting. And um, I'm not a hunter anymore. I, I, I don't have anything against it, really, I guess, but I just can't do it. I can't hurt anything. But when I was hunting, I was into it and involved with it, and I had a couple of, you know, mounted deer heads on the wall, and wherever I would move to, I'd take those with me and proudly display them, and I moved out to Colorado 26 years ago, and and I hadn't been hunting since I was probably 26 or 27, and I still had those uh, deer heads, and I had them hanging up, and I noticed when I would walk by them, I started to feel this pain. I guess um, I had
1: empathy.
2: Empathy, <laughs> and I would reach out and touch him with my finger, and I would say to whoever was listening, whatever power above or whatever, I would say, "If I can, if I could touch this, deer, And it just ran off and lived its life. I'd give up a month of life. Oh. So.
1: Life is so precious. Years went by,
2: you know, years went by, and I finally sold them, moved them off the wall. I couldn't look at them anymore. But I never forget, I never forgot saying that. I would give up a month of my life if I could touch him and let him go. And I read this book and then I went in and looked at the internet, uh, the uh, website of Comunidad Antuay Larasi. And when I read the the uh, volunteer requirements and it said to work with a puma, you need to stay 30 nights so that you can build the trust and the bond with this animal, I thought, there's my month.
1: The universe was holding you accountable for your word. (laughs) The universe said, you said you would do
2: it. It got me. took a long time, but it got me.
1: So do you have any regrets, though? I mean, that was an experience that had to happen, even the... You know, the killing of the animal and then proudly displaying it on your wall. All that had to happen for you to come to terms with walking past that animal hanging on the wall, feeling the empathy and the grief and maybe a little bit of guilt and wanting, having the passion and compassion enough to say, man, this kind of, you know, I'm sorry that this happened and can't take it back. But if if I could give in some way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. I will. And the universe was like, yeah, you can. In fact. 30 days, brother, you're coming to Bolivia. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> you're going to give some of your life. Somebody sent me that book and um, said, here you go, read this.
1: Man, that is so, so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, a little bit of uh, personal stuff. You know, that's that's what, when you can get raw and real in your life and, and put the ego aside, that's when the good shit happens.
2: Well, I'm just glad this isn't a video. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's okay. We'd all be crying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'd be going through the Kleenexes right here now. But anyway,
1: man, thank you for sharing that, Rick. I appreciate you. Um, so, so just a couple uh, takeaways. I don't know if we can. If anybody does have any questions or anything like that, we'd be happy to um, answer them. Um, oh, hey, look at that. You could call in at 719 300 7936 if you guys have any questions for Rick at all. You could follow us on social media at uh, the slide WBN. Um, Yeah, we're super excited. Also, keep in mind, guys, we have some events coming up here at Slip and Slide. They have their heart in the community, they are um, just bringing bringing people um, to a place where we can all share. Um, What we have to offer and when we can all come together with our heart man, you can't go wrong. So um, They're having an event slip and slide in through Sand Creek. They're doing a backpack giveaway School is coming up and there's always a need So if you have a way to give and volunteer or if you have a need you can pick up at any of the locations Um, I'm sure you could find that on social media Um, There's a town hall meeting coming up on the 17th of September, second meeting, and then uh, homeless, not hopeless coming up October 8th. Um, I really feel that this is a, a beautiful and divine position to be in. If you have it in your heart to give or if you have it in your environment and you need to receive, there is a place. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us and letting us share some elevated vibes. Rick, thank you for being with us today. Thanks
2: for letting me be here.
1: And Slide, thank you for hosting a, a platform for me to share. I appreciate you.
4: DQ presents Picture This. Picture yourself at DQ on Thursday, July 28th for Miracle Treat Day. You roll up to order a Blizzard with your friends and family like you have so many times before. But on this day, every flavor comes with a much needed dose of hope. For every Blizzard you buy at participating locations, $1 or more will be donated to Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for your local children's hospital, making Miracle Treat Day the most satisfying way to give hope to kids in your community. Thursday, July 28th at DQ.
0: Look at you, listening to Spotify while you do whatever it is you're doing. That's exactly why it makes sense to promote your business here. Yeah, your business. Whether you have two employees or 2,000, your voice can reach as broad or as narrow of an audience as you need. And connect with them where visual media can't. Try it today at adstudio.spotify.com or tap the banner to learn more. I'm Charles
4: Holmes for The Ringer Music Show.
2: And I'm Cole Kushner from Dissect. And Charles and I are teaming up to create Last Song Standing, a new show where we determine an artist's single best song by debating our way through their entire catalog.
4: And for our first season, we're covering Kendrick Lamar. We're talking Good Kid to Pimple Butterfly, Damn, Mr. Morale, the mixtapes, the Lucys, and the features. Listen to Last Song Standing on the Dissect podcast feed only on Spotify.